Good morning. I'm Dana, and I'm going to read our scripture for today. It comes from Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. As dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played the tambourine so well. Grandma's hands used to issue out a warning. She'd say, Greg, now don't you run so fast. Might fall on a piece of glass. Might be snakes there in that grass Grandma's hands mm. Grandma's hands Soothed the local unwed mother Grandma's hands Used to ache sometimes and swell Oh, Grandma's hands Used to lift her face and tell her She'd say, baby grandma understands That you really love that man Put yourself in Jesus' hands Grandma's hands mm -hmm. Grandma's hands Used to hand me a piece of candy 
grandma's hands picked me up each time I fell. Oh, grandma's hands, boy, they really came in handy, she'd say. Nina, don't you whip that boy. What you want to spank him for? He didn't drop no apple core. But I don't have grandma anymore. When I get to heaven, I'll look for grandma's hands. As I was getting ready for the sermon this week, I thought of that song written by, some of you know, Bill Withers. Bill Withers grew up right down the hill from me in West Virginia. He was a few years older. We were so proud of him as he became famous as a, as a blues singer. And he, was, he wrote that song, which he says was his favorite song because his grandma had been so involved in, in bringing him up. And she must have been one uh, strong, but also loving woman. And I made me think about my own family. I don't know if we have anything but strong and also loving women uh, in the Waybright family, especially on my mom's side. My grandma was amazing. I have a picture of her here. I, I want to show it to you. Uh, you can see she was a Native American, a Shawnee tribe, uh, five feet tall, uh, less than 100 pounds, <laughs> and a uh, mother of 11 children. Now. My own mom was a whole lot like her. She was the 11th of 11 children. I have a picture of her here with my daughter, Heather. She was also five feet tall, weighed under 100 pounds, and I'm just telling you this, she could knew how to speak the truth, but always in, in love. I, I remember when my brother and I would get into a big fight, she would come to us and say something like this, um, I don't know what kind of family you boys think this is going to be, but I'm going to tell you what kind of family this will be. And it's going to start right now. It's not going to be a family where the boys fight and cheat and, and lie to one another. And somehow she just had this amazing ability to mete out appropriate justice that turned us from the ways of wickedness. I'll, I'll just tell you, she, she did that so well. You see, what, what my grandma and my mom did, I, I always knew was done out of love for us, and they didn't want us to go down a path that would just absolutely wreck our lives. They wanted us to be known as a family that lived lives in a, a different way from the way so many were living in our world. And if you can come, I don't know if you've experienced that, but if you can even relate to that at all, I, I think you will come to appreciate this text that Dana read for us so well today, Dana read for us. It, even you'll appreciate the hard-hitting parts because in it, God speaks of himself as our father. I don't know if you noticed verse two. He turns to us and says, my dearly loved children. That's how he starts it. God looking at us, my dearly loved children. And essentially what I see him saying in this passage is, I don't know what kind of family you think this is going to be, but I'm going to tell you what kind it will be when I'm done. It will be a family of people who live as children of light. So let's just launch into that. So let's think about the opposite, walking in the dark. 
uh, if you've been here for these weeks, and I know we have a number of visitors here, but if you've been here for weeks, you know, ever since chapter four, uh, the Apostle Paul's been talking about how to walk, how to walk, how to live on, on this path. And here he says that as you look out into the world, You'll see a a lot of people who don't really know how and where to walk. But here, he says, and I put up one phrase, among you, there should not be any hint of sexual immorality, impurity, and especially talking there about how we talk, and of greed. Now, I've got got to say this. Church people, you've got to know that when he talks about this, he's not talking about us criticizing the world out there. Do you remember I talked about that last week? He's talking about us and how we do life right here within the church family. He's talking to his dearly loved children, verse three, he says, among you in the church, and he says, I'm talking about how you live when you're God's holy people. Now what he does in the rest of this, he says, this is the world that you're in. And he, did you notice, he mentioned in the passage that I read, verses three to seven, three different things that were true probably of the society that he was living in. It was filled with sexual immorality, and greed, and obscene and foolish talk. When you get on down to verse 18, he talks about a life of drunkenness, where your life is out of control. And he turns to us in the church, and he says, this is what you should be known for. I is your heavenly Father. Don't let there be a hint of those kinds of things taking place in the church family. Sounds just like my mom and grandma used to say to me, that even though the rest of the world might be known for those sorts of things, Jesus came to rescue us so that he could give us a different way of living. Now, in picking out those four particular kinds of behavior, sexual immorality, the way we talk to one another, greed, and kind of addictions or or bondages, I'll tell you what he was doing. He was talking to a church there in Ephesus, and he knew the culture that he was writing into. See, it's the letter to the Ephesians. He was writing it to a church in a city, a big city called Ephesus. Paul knew the culture of that city well. He had spent at least three and a half years there. And he knew one of the things that just influenced the whole way of living in that culture was that they had in their city this big temple to the goddess Artemis, which some people also called Diana. Uh, That religion, religion of Artemis, had many adherents all over the known world, but the center of all of it was right there in the city of Ephesus. They had this huge temple that dominated the city. I have a picture to show you what it looked like. Right now, I've been there a number of times. There are only the ruins of that left, but I'm telling you, that city uh, prided themselves uh, in being a place where Artemis is followed and worshiped. So the whole way of life, of the people who live there. Are you with me here? The whole way of life that people would have just imbibed would have been these kinds of things because Artemis, or Diana, was the goddess of fertility. And and what that really meant was they viewed sexual, ecstatic sexual experience as the highest human experience and one that actually connected us with the gods. It's how they viewed it as being religious to try to enhance that, make it stronger. They also had another god they worshiped, Dionysius, or Bacchus, the god of wine. And so that's why all this, you can begin to see all this language here. What happened in the temple as they would gather is people would, they would have these shows that were going on. Uh, People there then would drink heavily. Then many of them were sexual in orientation, and many of the shows were filled with obscenities and, and, and that kind of humor. And then it all ended 
and people going into the dark and doing all sorts of things that Paul says in verse 12 are shameful even to mention what they do in the dark. Now, you've got a picture. If you'd lived in Ephesus, you would have thought, this is the good life. Children growing up, I can't wait till I get into that good life. And yet what had happened because of that is it led to brawling. It led to addictions and bondages. It led to broken marriages. They were well known as the ancient world was for marriages not lasting at all. And it led to broken families. And in Ephesians 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul calls us to see Jesus came to make it possible for you to live a good life that's very, very different from that. You remember chapter 4, verse 1, he wants us to live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus. He, he wants us to live a life of love, not broken relationships in chapter 5. And here, he wants us to live a life in the light. You know, I, I thought about uh, going to Ephesus must have been a lot like the way we think about going to Vegas. Because they had all the shows there and all the reputation that was there. There, there were a lot of great things apparently there in, in Ephesus. Great food, great wine, great shows. But all of it was sort of leading them into darkness. I can almost imagine a slogan like this one. What happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. <laughs> the thing I always want to make sure you get hold of is this that the basic things that were characteristic of their lives were not in and of themselves bad. In fact, all of them were a part of God's good creation. They were just abusing them. I mean, sexual pleasure is one of the greatest gifts of God. Good humor is a wonderful gift from God. Good food and wine, financial resources, those are good things in and of themselves. But if we put those as the main thing, those become the things that, that dominate our lives. When we begin to think, I can just engage in them however I want. They will lead us astray. And basically, that's why I wanted to start with that song. I, I feel like God says to us, that might be the way everybody in the world thinks they're going to find their lives. But you know, you and I can find a different way of living. Our family will be different. So he was speaking right into the issues that they were facing in Ephesus. What do you think he would write to us here in Southern California? What issues would he address? He, he might take up some of these very same ones. So I've begun to see these verses as sort of speaking to us. They call us one to find sexual enjoyment and faithfulness within a marriage covenant. Um, what, one of the things you may not notice is that when he talks about staying away from sexual immorality, it follows directly on live a life of love as Jesus lived. And the word that he uses there is for a love that really involves a commitment, a covenant that is made with one another. Um, and, and so as I, you know, I was involved in higher education for so long with the APU students here, one of the things both in our Christian universities as well as in our other universities, USC or UCLA or anywhere that you go, is it seems like the world that many people think this is what life is all about has to do with ongoing changing hookups and Cohabitation, kind of the, the way that people even argue, even Christians argue, this, this is good because it's cheaper to live that way and everyone else does and we can kind of try out marriage that way. The Bible is saying that Jesus gave his life to bring about a different kind of relationship where sexual activity, that great gift, is enjoyed within a covenant till death do us part.
See what he's getting at here. He wants us to have lasting relationships within our family. Be like that, he says. Be like that. This matter of greed, to find freedom from greed, also speaks to us, don't you think? In our consumerist world, uh, there is joy in being able to pay our bills, but I'll tell you there is incredible joy when we don't just gather more and more for ourselves, but when we actually view everything that we have as a gift from God, that really God has made it, and, and we use financial resources, not for greed, not for me to consume it on myself, but actually to further God's work and actually to bring some blessing into our hurting world. I think also this matter of don't, don't use that obscene and, and tearing down kind of speech. That's what he uses. That speaks to us too, doesn't it? Because so much of the humor that we have is humor that sort of tears down and criticizes. And so many of our relationships are characterized by gossip. And so many of the encounters we have are just destroying other people. Speech is a gift from God, but if it is used to build up instead of to tear down. So that's the way I want my family to live. And this last one that he gets at, with he says, don't be characterized by, by drunkenness, is that he wants our lives to be controlled by him. And so even a wonderful gift that might be given like a, a glass of wine, can become something that becomes a bondage to us. It was to them. What I see him saying is, I want you to experience joy, but freedom from the bondages that are there. No longer slaves of any kind. Slaves to fear. And it's kind of like this one ministry that we have here in the church. Whenever you felt that there was a bondage that you just can't break, it just keeps going on and on, and you begin to find freedom, you celebrate recovery. <laughs> Many in our church are finding that. And, and God's word is just saying this to us. He spoke into the Ephesian culture. He speaks into our own, and he says, in my family, I think we can show people a different way of living. And it's like this, not like what was there. Which brings me to the second point, verses 8 through 14. So our calling as followers of Jesus, is to be light in this world. So you too were once darkness, he says, to us and to them, but now... You are light in the Lord. So live. Become what you are. Live as children of the light. So this, this verse, like so many in the book of Ephesians, tells us that God has already declared this is what we are. We're not quite there yet. Amen? But he says, become, begin to living what you are now. And it's family language here. Uh, children of light who live a life so much in contrast to what was in the rest of the world, what was taking place in the dark. And I think one of the things about calling us to be children of light is that people should be able to see through us in every way and see that what's on the outside is the same thing on the inside, with that absolute transparency. And I feel like for us as a church, that's what I long for, I long for people to be able to come and visit us and if they can look into the way we do things and the way we spend money and the way, we, whatever we do, that they can look at that and say, there's just something different about what happens there. He says that what happens when we live for him, and he uses three words that tell us how to live as light. They're there, I think, is it verse 9 or verse 10? To live with lives of goodness, justice, and truth. Goodness, justice there. I see it in verse 9. Justice, if we live that way, goodness in all that we do, justice always seeking what is right 
to bring about that which is right and truth, speaking truthfully to one another. The world should be able to look at us and we say other ways of life are just exposed. That's the word that he uses here. Now, notice again that exposing darkness. He says, be light that exposes darkness in the world. It doesn't mean that we go out there and constantly criticize the way that people in this world are living. Instead, he says, you should live lives that are so different that people who have never come to know Jesus might be able to see you and simply say, there is something beautiful about that. Uh, So I think, when I read this, I think a part of what was happening there in Ephesus when Paul wrote this letter is that there were people coming to faith in Jesus and coming into the church, but still living the same way they'd lived before. Imagine in going to church, they stopped off maybe the night before at the temple of Artemis and then walked right back in. I imagine that they were speaking and treating one another in the very same ways. And and I've thought about why would he speak to people in the church and talk about activity that is shameful even to mention as he does in verse 12? And you're with me here, aren't you? I think it's because when we live in a world, in a culture, and everybody is valuing it's everything you see in the media, everything that of our friends are doing or the ways that they're speaking, the ways that they are living, they become so natural to us that we can hardly see that they are wrong. It's kind of like some people talk about a fish in water. Does a fish actually see water or does it see air? Like we can't really see air, but we can see water. Does a fish even know it's wet? So sometimes, you know, sometimes when we come together and the whole world's living this way, we, we can't even see it. I, I have an illustration of this for you. I, I just want you to see this. Uh, I want you, you have the one with the mistake, the, the mistake. All right, all right, my folks. Ken, you find the mistake there. I see you are looking, and I'm not going to spend the rest of the morning letting you do that. So I'll help you out. I'll help you out. I showed it to about a dozen people. Nobody found it. So read the first line. Oh, my goodness. And then read the second line. The two uses of the word the. Doesn't this point out to us that there are some things that we... We see, but we don't really see. It's so easy for there to be things wrong in our world and in our life, and because we're so, so surrounded by things, when we read past it, we don't even see it. I wonder what all of this has to say to us today. I, I think it says, like, like the Christians in Ephesus, there may be some things in our culture that we're blind to, that we need to, to come together as God's people and say, how should we live in this place? And that's why verse 10 is so important. Find out. Take time to find out what pleases the Lord because that's going to be a better way to live. Which brings me to the last thing I want to talk about. I call it walking in the light. Not walking in darkness anymore. Walking into the light and highlighting this particular part. So be very careful about how you live. Everything you do really is important. And then he says, not as unwise, but as wise. And doing that, making the most of every opportunity. Even right now, I I pray that maybe God might say something. Make the most of listening to what God might say to you today. So what happens here in these last verses of this section is God's word sort of speaks to us very practically about how we find out what pleases the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 10, so that we might understand and shine as his children. 
And essentially what he says when he says, don't live as unwise, but as wise. Paul was a good Jewish rabbi, you know. And that's the way they talked about things. There are two paths of life. There is the unwise path of life, and that's the one that leads toward darkness and takes us away from real living. It seems to be so good. And then there is the one, the life of wisdom, which is the life of light that leads us to joy and shalom in this world. In fact, I have a picture, sort of it pictures you and me every day of our lives, standing there, having to make some decisions about what websites are we going to go to today? What places are we going to go visit today? What ways are we going to speak with people today? And he says, make the most of every opportunity that you have to live a life that is wise. So how do you find out what's wise? Well, I think you need to understand what God's word has to say. And in that, as I so often do, brothers and sisters, I call us in this church family to be the best students of God's word that you and I possibly can be. I hope you'll find a version that you can read and understand. Sometimes there are these Bibles that have one-year Bibles every day. You can read some, and they're Bible readers. I, I encourage you to get one. You know, we talk about also wanting you to find a small group, and I know at Azusa Pacific University they have a lot of those, but I hope you will find a small group where people don't just read some book, but actually use the Bible and look at it together. And then I pray that when you come to church, you'll find that I always open this up and say, this is what our Father has to say, because we don't know how to live if we haven't heard what he has told us to do, right? So first of all, become the best, make a commitment to be a faithful student of God's word. And the other thing he says in verse 18 is to intentionally allow the spirit of God to direct you. Because the Bible teaches when you receive Jesus as Savior, he not only cleanses you of your sins, hallelujah, but he also gives his spirit to you and me. But sometimes we live as if God isn't even there. And that's why he says in verse 18, don't get drunk on wine. Speaking into their culture, don't let that control you. Take away all the inhibitions. Instead, here's what should control you. Be filled with the spirit. See, he calls us to a, to a contrast. I'll tell you, it's this idea of being filled with the spirit means a complete surrender to allowing the Spirit to direct our lives. And it really is, for me, an ongoing way of living life. In fact, the very language that Paul uses is this, be being filled. That, that's what he says, be being filled. You might say that's an unusual way to say things, but it was for him too. But the point is really clear, isn't it? You get up in the morning, oh, I've told you this before, you get up in the morning and you sort of say, Lord, I don't really want to go to this place and and I'll tell you, when I see that person, I want to hit him in the nose. And then you say, but my life is no longer mine, but yours. May your spirit guide me today. I pray that the spirit may control me so that my words, my deeds, my, my thoughts might be controlled by you. Well, how, how can we be being filled by the spirit? And he gives us a couple of words there. Maybe you'll want to make note of them. It's what should happen in our church family here. These are beautiful words, speaking, singing, thanking, and submitting. Speaking, singing, thanking, and submitting. So speaking. He said, if you want to really experience the presence and direction of the Spirit, when you come into the church, speak to one another. And then he says, with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. You've got to see, in that temple of Artemis, after the people got ridiculously drunk, they sang like crazy, but it was senseless kind of stuff. And he said to them, hey, sing too. 
but sing in ways that actually make sense. Sense, Sing so that whenever you sing these lyrics to one another, you're actually speaking God's truth to one another. And he says psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. I just imagine that there in that church, there were some people who didn't like the same kinds of music. Kind of like us. I don't know what you thought of that blues music I started with <laughs> today. There are people who didn't like it. Can't you imagine Jewish Christians? Psalms. That's God's word. That's what we've always sung. <laughs> that's, that's religious singing right there, Psalms. And the, and the newer Christians, the Gentiles, came in, but they said, the Psalms, yeah, they're good, but they don't say anything about Jesus. And there were all of these new songs being created, like, like in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and, and, and Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, beautiful songs about Jesus. And they said, but the new songs we're singing, they're about Jesus. We've got to sing those, not, not those old archaic ones where we're just sort of chanting. And then there are others. It so often happens when the Spirit of God is really moving. People sing often brand new, fresh songs to the Lord. And them saying, I need to sing of my experience of God that it is real. That's what I want to sing. What does Paul here say? And it was said to us across generations, across different tastes in music, which one of those three should they sing? He said, speak to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And when you listen to one another, even if it might not be your heart music, when you listen to one another, the Spirit of God will move in you. And one of the, th- the second thing he says, singing, he says that specifically, and making music from your heart. This, Dwayne, I'll just look over here, and, and Michael and uh, Xander, who all led us so beautiful in music today. One of the beautiful things about music is it isn't just for our heads. It's not just the content of the lyric, but what happens in our hearts. And when we're singing to the Lord, I'm sure you must have experienced this sometimes. Aren't our hearts elevated to the Lord and our, our commitment is renewed? Do that, he sings, together. Sing, some of my greatest experiences with God have been with you when we have sung together. So speaking, singing, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, verse 20. And there, I'm sure Paul isn't saying, hey, thank God for all the bad stuff happening in the world. No way, not at all. But he really wants us always, when we come into a world filled with shootings, filled with all of the issues that are happening with migrating people, all the places, and they seem so, so awful. Why, why would God allow those to happen to realize that God is still there and this life is not all there is and that someday he is actually going to bring about this world in which there is no more pain, that when you come with whatever troubles you come, you walk into church and just we sing together and we speak together and acknowledge that God is greater than all of our troubles he is greater than our failures and is ready to forgive them. And then we look around and say, oh, these are other human beings too, aren't they? <laughs> they have struggles too, don't they? They have failures too, don't they? And yet God loves us and knows us and never gives up on us, always giving us that second chance. Give thanks to God. Good times and bad, and you'll experience some of the joy of Christ and the leading of God's spirit. And fourth thing for being, be, being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, this is going to bring us to communion. When we thank God for everything, one of the first, where's one of the first places we start? That he loved us so much that he sent Jesus, who loved us so much that he gave his life, shed his blood for us and for our salvation. 
So we give thanks to that. And then we look around and we realize that's not just for me, that is for all the people who are here, regardless of age or skin color or background or how much money we have. That's true of us all. And then we look at one another in a different way, as a brother and sister in Christ, as one who is filled by the Holy Spirit together. And what should be the result of that is within the life of a church family, we serve one another. We serve, submit to one another. But that's next week's message, so I'll stop right there. It's next week's message. He tells us how to do that. This week, I just feel like God is saying, I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of church family you want this to be, but let me tell you what I want it to be <laughs> and what it will be when I'm done. It's one that's going to be directed by my word, come to understand it by my spirit, allowing, allow him to control you. It's, it's going to be when I'm done, a church whose relationships are filled with faithfulness and not, not ongoing brokenness where we enjoy the gifts of God and in the way that God created them to be given to us, that we'll speak to one another and laugh with one another, enjoy life with one another, but never use our language to gossip or to tear down or to move into obscenities. A family in which we are thankful for every gift God gives us, take every opportunity to use those gifts, whether it's money or talents, to serve others, and to glorify God. And I'll tell you, that kind of church, that kind of life that you and I live, it truly will be something different from the world. <laughs> and it will be to the glory of our Father in heaven. Thank you.